Last week we finished the book of 2 Samuel, and I had told you that we're going to do a bit of a review or a bit of an overview uh, this week. So what we're going to do this week, we're going to cover about 3,000 years in history. So the things that we're going to talk about, we're just going to hit some highlights, we're just going to hit some major key points, uh, but what I want you to notice is how God's hand is so intricately involved in everything that's taken place. Oftentimes I'll get the question, hey, why do you study the Old Testament? How, what's, what's the reason for that? I mean, you're not Jewish and, you know, there's, there's, it's just you don't really understand. It doesn't really apply to you. And I, and I, I say, well, yeah, but it's, it's how we get to know God. It, it's, the Old Testament really shows us who God is. Not that the New Testament doesn't, but it, the, the Old Testament shows us a, a better or a more complete picture of who God is. Not to mention, as we study the Old Testament, I can see a lot of myself in them. Now, it's really fun to look back at the people that make mistakes, and we can look back at the, the guys in the Bible and say, oh, why did you do that? That was so silly. But, you know, really, when I look at their lives, I see a lot of the mistakes that they're making are the same mistakes that we're making today. Mankind really hasn't changed much. So I guess open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And I don't know that you'll be able to keep up. You may just want to listen. We're going to kind of bounce all over. I'm going to rely a lot on summary tonight because I want to cover a lot of area. And uh, what I've kind of done for our study tonight, I've divided the Old Testament. When I say the Old Testament, we're going to only look at from Genesis to the end of 2 Samuel. Because we'll start 1 Kings next week, and I want to kind of bring everybody up to speed on the overview of what God's been doing in this 3,000-year period. And have you ever noticed that God's timing is not our timing? You know, for him, it's like, you know, God, I want you to do this like yesterday. And the things that we're going to look at, 3,000 years tonight, 3,000-year time period. And, and his, he doesn't work the way that we do. And his, he's not in a hurry like we are. He's not, Jesus was never in a rush on the earth. You know, every, he always showed up at the perfect time. So as we look at this, don't, don't be mistaken that think everything happened one right after the other because there's, there's, there's a lot of time that passes in between these things. So what I've done is I've divided this period of time from Genesis, from Genesis 1 to uh, the end of 2 Samuel into six uh, major parts. And I've called them the first one, the creation and the fall of man. The second one, Abraham and his sons. The third one, Moses and the Exodus. The fourth one, Joshua and the promised land. The fifth one, Judges and Samuel. And then the sixth one being David and Solomon. Well, we're not going to get to Solomon because we'll pick him up in uh, 1 Kings when we get there. So just to give you an idea, uh, the, everybody knows or you should know the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are going to speak of creation. Uh, sometime before he created he created in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he created the angelic beings. We know that Lucifer or Satan was one of those angelic beings. He was considered a worship leader in heaven. He was thrown out of heaven uh, because he wanted to be like God. Uh, and a third of the angels went with him. So he's fallen because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to receive worship as, worship as God. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, that's the quickest Genesis 1 and 2 you ever heard, huh? In Genesis chapter 3, what we find is the fall of mankind. You see, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God turned the earth over to mankind. And he, after creation, he said, this is good. And when he turned the earth over to mankind, the earth was perfect. There was no sin in the earth. There was, there was, you know, there, it, it, was, it was a perfect place to live. And he only gave man one thing, one rule, one law, one thing that they had to do. Remember what it was? Don't eat of the tree, not the apple tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, just don't eat of this one thing. Thing. Can you imagine how, you, don't you think that would be easy? If you could do anything you want to, just don't eat this one, you have all the other trees, eat whatever, just don't eat this one tree. It seems so simple, doesn't it? Now what we don't know is how long it was before mankind fell, and, and we know the story. God had given man dominion over the earth, and they were told to subdue it. So mankind had control, had power, they brought the animals to Adam, Adam named all the animals but we know what happens before long. Satan is on the earth and he, and he shows himself to Eve. And remember how, he, remember how, remember how Satan tempted Eve in, in Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. He's referring to eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're not going to die. You, you, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. 
You'll be like God, Eve, if you eat it. You're not going to die. You'll know good and evil. And so he tempts Eve, and she, she eats of the tree, and we know that she gave it to Adam, and man broke this commandment by disobeying God. Therefore, when that happened, when sin came into the earth, onto the earth, when, Eve and, when Adam and Eve did that, do you know what took place? Dominion of the earth was transferred over to Satan. Satan is now the, he's, he's the, he's the rule, prince and power of the air. He's the ruler of the earth. Jesus refers to that many times in the New Testament. Man broke the one commandment that they couldn't do. They disobeyed God and they had a problem. Now they were separated from God by sin. So what took place is, you, you, remember, you remember the story where Jesus, or God comes down or walked with Adam in the cool of the day and says, Adam, where are you? And I was hiding. Why, who told you you were naked? And all that kind of stuff happened. And, and then, of course, what took place is Adam and Eve were removed out of the Garden of Eden. And, they were, and there was a curse placed upon all three of them, on man, on woman, and on the serpent. That, was, that would come also. But what would take place, not long after they were thrown out of the garden, we would, we would read that their wickedness would grow more and greater and greater. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Sometimes I think we're not very far from that today. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing of the birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we know what took place next is man began to get wicked, became to be, grew more and more evil. Uh, Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 that we just read is talking about that. And it says that every thought of his heart was evil. His life became focused around evil. All of mankind was evil. And then we know the flood took place. That's in Genesis 7 through 10. God tells Noah to build an ark. It takes him 120 years to build the ark out of gopher wood. God sent rain. It had never rained before this period. Everybody thought he was crazy. Can you imagine what it was like Noah building an ark in his front yard? Everybody walking by going, Noah, what are you doing? It had no, it's going to rain. No, it's not going to rain. It's not, we don't even know what rain is. No, I'm, I'm serious. It's going to rain. Noah builds an ark, and we know that God shuts the door to the ark, puts his family in there, and we know that the earth was flooded, destroying everything on the earth with water. Uh, Noah comes out of the ark, and uh, God shows him a covenant. What's the, what was the covenant that God showed him? The rainbow, right? And the rainbow was a covenant saying God would never again destroy the earth uh, with water. Uh, we've, uh, yeah, the, the rainbow was that covenant. Now, here's what I want you to, before we go any further, here's what I want you to see. God gave mankind a perfect earth and said, just don't do this one thing. Just don't do this one thing. Well, we can look at Adam and Eve and go, what's wrong with you? Why did you, did you really have to do that? And we probably would have done the same thing, even if you said you wouldn't, because that's the way we are. You, you can't, if, don't look at this, don't, don't do this, don't, don't open that box, don't do this, don't, open, don't look behind that door. Wouldn't you wait till no one's looking and look behind the door? That's just the way human, most of us would, would do that. So we can't really blame them. But with the fall of mankind, what I want us to see is God's whole plan from Genesis to Revelation is going to be redeeming mankind. It's, it's a consistent plan throughout the scriptures. He wants to redeem mankind from their sins. And he's going to do that in, in, in ultimately through Jesus Christ. But he's going to first create, he's going to bring, he's going to build up a nation. It's going to be called the Israelites or the Hebrews. Israel, the word Israel means governed by God. He's going to build up this nation of this Israelites, these people. And the cool thing about it is they're supposed to represent God to all of the other people in the world. They're supposed to, God, Yahweh God, Jehovah God is going to be their God. And everybody else is going to look and go, wow, that's the God of the Israelites. What power, uh, what majesty. He, it's an incredible thing that they're supposed to look at him. So to do this, he's got to start with one person. He's got to find a person that he can begin to build this nation out of. Do you know that he does? Anybody know his name? Abraham, exactly. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, I want to read them to you. Now the Lord had said to Abram, his name was not Abraham yet, it was Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran. God was looking for a man who, he, who would be faithful and willing to follow. Now, when we read those few verses, those four verses there, 
we just kind of read over it and go, all right, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's Abram's life. You know, he, he, God said go and he, and he went. But I, I don't want you to miss something. God gave Abram a command. Notice what the command is. Get out. Get out. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. You see, God wants to set Abram apart. Abram was living in the land of land Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. It was a pagan land. They were worshiping false gods. And God reveals himself to Abram, who would later be Abraham. He reveals himself to Abram and says, I want you to leave your family. That's a pretty big deal back in that day. You're going to pack all your stuff up. You're going to leave your father's house. You're going to leave your, all your father's wealth, the security that you have. You're going to pack up and leave. That's a huge deal. It's a huge deal in our day, wouldn't it be? If God were to come to somebody and say, hey, it's, I want you to move to a new, new place. I, I want you to, but, but here's the thing. God didn't even tell him where he was going. God didn't even say. All he did was give him a command. And notice his directions to him. To a land that I will, I'll show you. Abram, I want you to leave. I want you to pack up your stuff. Take your wife with you. Take Sarah with you. And just pack up and go. And I'm going to tell you where to go. Well, God, no, tell me first. No, I'm not telling you first. I want you to pack first. Nope, I'm not going unless you tell me where. No, pack first and I'll tell you. Abram, it's an incredible thing, but he also gives him a promise. He says, if you'll do it, look at the promise. If you'll do it, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. He talks about blessing those who cur- bless him, cursing those who curse him. But notice at the end of verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the fa- so here's God's plan. This is, the, this is the man that he's going to choose to build a nation out of who will bring forth the Messiah, out of, out of, who will bring forth Jesus Christ, who will bring about the forgiveness of sins. That's all starting with this man, Abram. And he says, hey, will you move? Will you do this for me, Abram? Will you pack up and leave your family? And it says, it says that his decision was he departed. Notice he was 75 years old when he departed. 75 years old. It's near the end of his life. God comes to Abram and says, listen, pack up your family, pack up your stuff, move. I'm going to want you to go somewhere. Where, God? I'm not telling you where I'm going to go. But if you do it, if you follow me, I'll make your name great. I'll make it so all of the families of the earth are blessed by you. I'll make it an incredible thing. Now, at first you think, all right, that's cool. My name's going to be great. It's going to be good. Wait a minute, I'm 75 years old. I don't want, I don't want to pack up and move. I, what's, what's going to happen? You know, as he would travel and leave his family, he was leaving the protection of his family. But yet he's faithful and he does this. Remember, God's looking for a man who would be faithful and a man who was willing to follow him even without knowing where he was going, even without knowing what the end was. Abraham took the command of God he took the dire- to get out. He took the directions of God that says, I will show you. He took the promise of God, and then he made a decision and he departed from there. All because of that, Everything we have in the nation of Israel follows after that because he was willing to go and be faithful to God. Not long after he leaves, you think, all right, this is it. This is going to be a great time. Here we are. Here I am serving God. I left my dad. I left my family. I left my security. You know what took place next? Famine. Now, God, I took a step out. I saw you. You gave me a word. You promised you'd make my name great. There's nothing great happening here. All all we are is hungry. As a matter of fact, we're starving, Lord. Oh, but it happens that way with us too. Sometimes the Lord will call you to step out in faith. Here it is, it's going to be great. And you get there and you do it and it just doesn't go the way that you thought. Maybe it's a famine that's taking place. Lord, there's nothing going on here. Lord, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not happy about this. Uh, famine, that's what comes. Abram, in order to get, by, get past the famine, what does he do? He goes down to Egypt. I'm going to go get some food into Egypt. And what does he tell his wife on his way to Egypt? Listen, honey, you're a really good-looking girl. And I don't want the Pharaoh to take you away from me because he's going to take you and kill me. So I want you to tell him, just tell him you're my sister, okay? That way I, I can live through it. And it was, it was a half lie, right? Because she really was his half-sister. Just tell him that you're my sister. Everything will be good. So what happens? So they go into Egypt. Pharaoh sees Sarah, likes her, and uh, blesses Abram for her. But, but Pharaoh's kind of tortured by it. The Lord reveals to Pharaoh that, hey, that, that's not really the, she's not really his sister. She's not really his sister. So, Abraham, so Pharaoh calls Abram and says, look, you, you, get out of here. Take all the stuff you have with you. And what happens when he leaves Egypt? We read something very interesting. He left Egypt. He came out of Egypt with lots of livestock, lots of silver, and lots of gold. That's interesting. Famine is striking. He goes in 
well, I don't know about poor, but not having what he needs to survive because he goes to Egypt in the first place and he comes out wealthy. Why? Because God's plan is at work. God's hand is doing something through this. So the Lord brings him out of Egypt, brings him into the land of Canaan. Turn over to Genesis chapter 13, verses 15 through 17. This is what God tells Abraham or Abram in the land of Canaan. He says, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. I'm going to give to all of your family. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. It would be many, many, many years later where the Israelites would come in and actually take the, Canaan, the promised land or the, or the land from the Canaanites. But here God is promising to Abram, Abram, everything you see, look north as far as you can see. Look south, look east, look west. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. He had, Abraham knew, or Abram knew that God was going to make his descendants as many as the, sand, as the dust because he just told him that. Now, how would you even count that? Could you imagine counting the dust particles in your house? I know you guys don't have any, but if you did, if you had any dust particles in your house, could you imagine going through and count one, two, that's how many people that God's saying. Now, you realize there's a problem with this so far because Abram doesn't have any kids. And you can't have descendants that number as much as the dust on your shelf if you don't have any kids. So he doesn't have any kids yet, but yet God says, take a look around, Abraham. Take a look around, Abraham. See what you see. I'm going to give this all to you. Abraham had no idea that he would actually father the nation of Israel. He had no idea at that time. So as he's going along, he's getting a little bit older, and he's getting a little bit older, and he's getting a little bit older. Remember, he started at 75. So he's getting a little bit older, and then he looks and his wife says, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to give you kids. And what does she say to him? She goes, here, take my maidservant. Have a child with her. And so she, he, Abram takes Hagar, has a child, Ishmael, and uh, that didn't turn out real good for him. We'll just leave it at that for tonight. So <laughs> stay focused. All right. <laughs> so now we get to the point where Abram is about 99 years old. All right, literally, I didn't use different years than we did back then, 99 years old, you know, and the idea is that he's probably past the childbearing age. Well, matter of fact, we're positive he's past the childbearing age. His wife is past the childbearing age. They've come to the point where they're 99 years old, and uh, when Abraham's 99 years old, God shows himself to Abraham, and he says this. He says, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of many nations. And that's where Ishmael comes in. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you, I'll make, I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be, God, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan and the everlasting possessions. I will be their God. So Abraham meets God again, and God says, listen, I'm going to establish this covenant. And Abraham falls on his face. And we're told in the book of Hebrews, Abraham was counted righteous because he believed God. Because he believed what God was saying. Even though he was 99 years old, he still believed, he still had the faith. Now, as a symbol of the covenant, God told Abraham about circumcision, required him to get circumcised. And a year later, baby Isaac was born. It's an amazing miracle of God. You could see where Abraham would look at God and say, you know, God, I stepped out in faith and the famine came. You know, God, you sent down me into Egypt. I was, afraid, I was afraid for my life there, but yet you were faithful. And God, now I'm 99 years old and you're telling me I'm not gonna, this is going to work. I just don't understand it. You can see where his confusion would set in. You can see where he'd look at God and go, Are, I don't even, is this even, you think he doubted hearing from God? I'm sure he did. He, he was human like the rest of us, but he still believed God. A year later, Isaac was born. We know that Isaac, and I don't have time, you know, but talk about the whole son, Abraham sacrificing Isaac or being told to. We don't have time to cover that tonight, but, but he, that certainly took place. Isaac gave birth, Abraham, Isaac, and who comes next? Jacob, who comes after Jacob? 
The 12, tribe, the 12 sons of Jacob would become the 12 tribes of Israel. So, just to kind of recap, God creates man, man sins, sin separates God, man from God. Man, God wants to redeem mankind, he's going to do it. He chooses a man named Abram, tells Abraham, calls Abraham to step out in obedience. Abraham does through adversity, God's promises come true in Abraham's life. He gives son, he gives birth to a son called, not he doesn't give birth, Sarah, his wife does. His wife gives birth to a son, Isaac. Isaac gives birth to Jacob. Jacob gives birth to 12 sons who would become the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, right? What did, what, how did Joseph and his brothers get along? Not so good, right? They didn't like him very well. So what they end up doing? They, they thought about killing him. They threw him in a pit. And they eventually said, well, we'll just sell him. Might as well get some money for the kid. So they, sent, they sell him, and off he goes. And they go home and tell dad, and a wild animal ate him. And Joseph goes where? Down to Egypt. Joseph goes back to Egypt. Joseph begins working for Pharaoh, doing well for Pharaoh, climbs the ladder, if you will, and becomes the second in charge of Egypt. What takes place? Famine in the land takes place. So there's a famine that takes place in the land, and what happens to now, uh, now, now Jacob? What happens to Jacob and his sons? We've got to get some food. We've got to send some food, send some people to Egypt. So they go to Egypt looking for food and they meet Joseph. Only they didn't know they met Joseph. Joseph recognized his brothers, but his brothers didn't know that Joseph was the one that they had sold into slavery. They didn't realize that. So after a little game back and forth, uh, what, ha- what eventually happens is they reunite the family. And here's what's kind of cool. Joseph brings his family to live into the safety of Egypt. So when the Israelites, what will become the Israelites, there's only about 70 of them. Joseph's family, about 70 people move into Egypt. And they will spend the next about 440 years in Egypt. So 70 people come in. Now, when they came into Egypt, Joseph was the number two in control. So it was a pretty good place to live. They had a pretty good life. They, they knew the boss, so to speak. But as the years and the generations passed, they became oppressed. They became slaves to the Egyptians. Their life got harder, and it got more miserable, and it got more miserable. And when life gets miserable sometimes, don't you look around and go, God, why is this happening to me? We have the luxury now of looking back and watching and saying, God, what were you doing with that? Over those 440 years that the Israelites were in Egypt, do you realize God was building a nation inside the protection of another nation? They didn't have to worry about being attacked. They didn't have to worry about somebody coming after them. They were nobody. They were just, they were just, all they were doing was multiplying. They kept having kids and more kids and more kids and more kids. And when they would finally come out of Egypt, that 70 people who went in were around, scholars would suggest, somewhere between 2 and 3 million people. That's how quickly they multiplied. So that's impossible in, in 400 years. Do the math. It's not. It's not impossible. If, they, if, they, if people have done it, it is, it's very possible that it could be that many people that came out at one time. So they're in Egypt. They're, they've, they've moved down there. The 400, they're, they're growing. And then what takes place is while they're in Egypt, they begin to get oppressed. They become slaves to the Egyptians. And you, as they're, they're multiplying so much. You remember what Pharaoh does? Let's just kill all the Jewish baby boys. We, we can't control these, these guys. We've got to get them out of here. Let's just, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kill all the baby boys. And then there was a little boy named Moses, right? And Moses' mom, she didn't want Moses to die, so she bakes a little basket, puts him in the river, floats him down the river, and we know the story. Hopefully you do. If not, you can read it. I'm, I'm just giving you the overview. Pharaoh's daughter comes along. Here's the baby. Goes and picks up the baby. Decides she wants to keep the baby. Sees Moses' sister, Moses' sister talks about a nurse, goes and gets Moses' mother, brings her back to Pharaoh's house so that Moses' mother can actually nurse him, and he gets raised as an Egyptian in the house of Pharaoh. But as he's in the house of Pharaoh, he's looking around at the Jewish people. He's realizing who he is. God's put a burden on his heart for the Jewish people. Do you see God's hand in all this? It's just, it's, it's literally, when you, when you look at it in a kind of an overview, it's literally one miracle after another that's taken place. How did he get picked out of the river? How did his mother know to put him in the river? How, how did Joseph go from slavery to being the second in charge of Egypt? How did it all work? It was all God's sovereign plan. It was all God's design. So Moses is, uh, you know, he, he's trying, he, he tries to help out his, his, his uh, kinsmen, the, the Hebrews, by himself. He kills an Egyptian. He ends up fleeing. He spends 40 years as a shepherd, leaves, the, leaves Pharaoh's palace. And then what happens? Yep, he sees that burning bush, right? 
And he's, God, God reveals himself to Moses and says, basically tells them, and I'm going to summarize, Moses, I want to use you to, let, to get the people out of, out, of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm going to use you. You're going to free the people. What does Moses say? No, Lord, can't, not me. I got a stuttering problem. I can't speak well. All right, I'll give you your brother Aaron. You can bring him with you. He can help you. Lord, what, what, I can't go possibly talk to Pharaoh. What do I say? Go tell him to let my people go. Lord, I can't tell him that. I'm, I'm, I'm an outcast from there. I, I took off. I committed murder. I'm, I'm on the run. Go tell him to let my people go. Lord, I, who do I tell him sent me? Tell him I am sent me. And he gave him a few little miracles. Remember, he could stick his hand in his, in his vest and make it turn to leprosy. He could throw his staff down and it would turn to a serpent. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? You're crazy. You're not going anywhere. And that brings us to the 10 plagues. Remember the 10 plagues? The first one was the water turned into blood. The second was the frogs, uh, the bugs, the lice, the biting. The fourth one was the wild animals. The pestilence was the, 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 the domestic animals died, the, the, the boils, the hail, the locust, the darkness. And the final one was the death of the firstborn, remember? Remember the death of the firstborn? All the firstborn were going to, to die. But, but God wanted to protect those people who were his, didn't he? So he made a way to protect them. And remember what that was? The Passover sacrifice. Take a lamb that was unblemished. You kill the lamb. You eat of the lamb. You put the blood on the doorpost, on the lentils of the door. And when the angel of death passes over, he'll see the blood of the lamb and he'll pass over. Beautiful picture of Christ there. When we studied it, we talked about it in depth, about how, how, how that's a picture of Christ. And Christ is our sacrificial lamb. Finally, the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh's son dies. All the firstborn of everything throughout the land dies. And what does Pharaoh say? Get out. We don't want you here anymore. Two or three million people head off into the wilderness. For finally, freedom from Egypt. And not long after they're out, what takes place? They're chasing them, right? They're following them. And they come to a dead end. Their road is blocked by that thing called the Red Sea. And here they are. They look at Moses and they say, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Did you just bring us out here so we would die? And Moses goes, Lord, I don't know what to do. And what does God do? He shows up. He says, I didn't bring you out here to die. That's not my plan. Did you, ever, did, you, did you ever think, why would you think that I brought you out here to die? And what happens? Moses parts the Red Sea. They walk through. The Egyptians come after him, crashes down on them. Now, they're wandering in the wilderness. They've been in the wilderness about, I don't know, about two years. Uh, remember how they were led through the wilderness? What was it? How, how did they know where to go in the wilderness? You know, they were, we talk about wandering, but they really weren't wandering. They, had, they, had a, they, they were being led. They had a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. Which means in the desert, there was a cloud. When the cloud moves, they would move. When the pillar of fire would move, they would move at night. So they were being led by God through this. They come to a point of about two years. They look over at the promised land. They send in some spies to the promised land. Ten spies came in. Eight came back and said, no, there's giants in the land. Can't go. Two came back. Joshua and Caleb said, our God will give us the victory. And they decided not to go. Their lack of faith kept them out of the promised land. Remember what God did? All of you who came out of Egypt, you won't see the promised land. All the men and women, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, that left Egypt, that were part of the group in Egypt, were, would spend the next 40 years, the next 38 years, wandering in the desert until they died. Because it was only the following generation that would go into the promised land. So during that time in the desert, remember what they, there were some great things that happened. Moses went to Mount Sinai. And what did he get? The law, the Ten Commandments, right? The tabernacle was built. God came down and dwelt among them, dwelt, dwelt right there. The tabernacle was a place for God to dwell. This was all before they went into the promised land, or before they refused to go in. So th there's some great things that are happening there. God is leading this nation. It's, it's so miraculous that when you watch it happen, you're going, wow, really, all this stuff is happening that you're talking about. I'm only just covering the very, very tip of it. We're just covering part of it. And then what takes place? Moses. Moses can't go into the promised land. God says, Moses, you're not going in. Why? What did Moses do? Do you remember? He struck the rock. Exactly. The first time he came to the rock, they needed water. God said, strike the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And what came? Water came out. The second time he came to the rock, Moses was mad. And he struck the rock out of anger. And God had told him to not strike the rock, but to speak to the rock. And we talked about how that was a picture of Jesus Christ. He was struck once for our sins. After that, to receive the water, the living water, you speak to the rock. You speak to Christ. You believe on Jesus Christ. You accept Christ. We talked about how that was a picture, that rock was a picture of Jesus Christ. And then we come to Joshua. 
Joshua in the promised land. Moses can't go in, but Joshua is going to lead him into the promised land. In the book of Joshua, Moses, Moses dies and goes to be with the Lord. And uh, Joshua will spend, <coughs> excuse me, Joshua will spend the next seven years conquering the promised land. This next seven years uh, going in and he, the battles of Jericho, the battles of Ai. Jericho, the walls came tumbling down. Just some incredible stories. Ai, the, the, uh, the battles, the arms, he's got to hold his arms up. You know, and, and to, do, to do the battle. It's just in one story after another that's just taking place incredibly through there. And then they kind of get comfortable. God had said to them, to the Israelites, I want you to utterly destroy, wipe out all the inhabitants of the land. And they wiped out most of the inhabitants. They wiped out the majority of them. But they failed to wipe out all of the inhabitants. And you know, it's those inhabitants that in the future years would come back and give the Israelites not only a problem with war, but it was also those inhabitants that would give them the false gods and the idols to worship. Because they would begin to intermarry with them. They would begin to fail to do what God had said. And they would, oh, what are you guys worshiping over there? Oh, well, I want to be inclusive. Well, let's just go see what that church is like over there. Well, it's just a little wooden idol. It's, it's not that bad of a thing. Let's just go, let's just go check that out. And they, they, they didn't stay true to what God had called them to. And, and they began to slip backwards and slip backwards and, and slip backwards. And they, we would find that as we come into the book of Judges, into, into Judges, the, the period of the Judges, which was about 400 years also, Israel goes through this period of history where they, they follow God, they don't follow God. They follow God, they don't follow God. They follow God, they get taken into captivity, they send a judge to free them from captivity. They follow God for a while, then they go back into worshiping idols. They just, they're stuck in this cycle of back and forth. The book of Judges begins just after the death of Joshua, it ends with Samuel, who's the last judge of Israel. Every generation fell into a terrible cycle at this point. Every one of them was fallen. First they would get God's commands and then they'd forget them and they'd, they'd go do, commit idolatry. They'd, and then all of a sudden a foreign invasion, nation would invasion, invade them and they would be down and they're oppressed and also they'd cry out to God, Lord, come help us. And then the Lord would show up and help them. And the very next generation would start this cycle over and over and over and over again. I think it went on seven times through, through seven generations. It was, I, I believe, I'm not sure on it, but I believe it was seven if I remember correctly. Seven generations it went through, and it was just this one problem after another. Some of the, some of the judges, Othniel, a nephew of Caleb, Ehud, was left-handed and killed Eglon. Remember Samson, Deborah, Gideon, all popular judges back in that time. Now, Samson. Remember Samson? Strong guy, right? We like Samson. How many have been to, you can go see, there's a play still playing at, uh, what's, what, what's, the, uh, what's the theater called? Sight and sound. Is Samson there? Is it still there? Is it, who's, who's seen it? Anybody seen it? couple. Is it good? I haven't seen it. Yeah. It, is it worth driving down there for? All right. Okay. Do I get a kickback on tickets for that? No. All right. So Samson. Remember Samson? Strong guy, right? Now, I, you know, all the pictures show Samson as this big muscular guy. I don't think that was the case at all. I think Samson looked just like everybody else. I don't think he had any, I don't think he was very big. I think he was just normal, everyday person. But I think his strength was extraordinary. Because they were trying to figure out where his strength came from. But Samson, remember, he was a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite. And he, as a Nazarite, he had to take a vow that, that consisted of three parts. Remember what it was? You can't touch anything that was dead. Stay away from anything that was dead. You can't cut your hair. And you can't do Anybody know the third one? No wine. Nothing from the, from the vine. Nothing from the grapes. Those are the three things. And remember what took place as you study the life of Samson. Man, he was a warrior. He was whipping everybody. He was, and he, though the Philistines couldn't even come, they couldn't even figure out how he was killing them all. He was just doing great. But Samson began a life of compromise, remember? First he ran across to a lion, and in the, in the lion's carcass was some honey, it was, a, it was a beehive, and he took it out and he ate the honey from it. And then he would find, you read, in the, you read a little bit further, and he's, he's in the fields, in the vineyards. You know, he's, he's going to a party here, he's going there, and he's, he's in the vineyards, so he's come to the second. And we all know what happened with Delilah, if you've studied it, well... You know, what's the secret of his strength? And it was his hair. But he'd already compromised in the, in the dead animals. He'd already compromised in the vineyards. And now when, he, when it comes to her, you read the story and you go, Samson, why did you tell her to cut your hair? Why would you tell her that? And if you, if you don't know the story, Delilah is trying to get Samson to tell, her, tell him what the secret of his strength is so the Philistines can overcome him. And she, tell, she asks him the first time and he lies to her. You have to bind me with uh, cords of this or that. And she tells him the second time, and he lies to her again. And she calls the Philistines in, and they try to take over, and he breaks the cords, and he, he, he defeats them again. So finally, the third time, you know, the power of a woman 
in his life says, hey, now you, you know, you've hurt me. You've, you've, I thought we loved each other. I thought you loved me. You need to tell me what it is. I'm sure it was just like that too. And what does he do? He tells her. He tells her what it was. Now I look at that and I go, what are you thinking? Why would you do such a thing, Samson? But you know what? He didn't think it would affect him. He had already broke two other parts of the covenant. He'd already touched the dead animal. He'd already been in the vineyards many times. You know what he figured? Doesn't matter. I've already done all the other stuff. What's one more part? But it came to the point where you know what? It did matter. It did matter. And she cut his hair while he was sleeping. The Philistines took him. They made fun of him. They poked his eyes out. They left. They locked him up. They brought him out at a party. What happened at the party? He pushed over the pillars. Several thousand Philistines died. During this time of the judges, God used the surrounding countries through war, invasion, difficulty to bring his people back to him. Each time they would, life would get difficult, they would cry out, God, come help us. And he did. Each time that would take place. Oh, that's like us. Don't you do that? When life is hard, God, help me. I'll never do that again. If you'll, God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I'll never do that again. This is what the Israelites are doing. Well, just... Please, Lord, we can't be oppressed anymore. Please, we'll do anything. All right, I'll come down, I'll save you. I'll send a judge, I'll send somebody. Man, that sounds a lot like our life, doesn't it? Come to the last judge, his name was Samuel. He was also a prophet. And Samuel's got a great job. The judges, Samuel specifically, his, his job really was to represent, Moses, all of it, their job was to represent the people to God, but also represent God to the people. So as the, as the people of Israel look around at this point, you know what they say? They go to Samuel. They say, Samuel, we looked around. We noticed everybody's got a king, but we don't have a king. All we have is a, a judge. All we have is you, Samuel. You're like a prophet, Samuel. We, we want a king like everybody else. And it crushed Samuel. Samuel goes to the Lord, and the Lord tells Samuel, no, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. You see, they had a king. God was their king. They had a king. They had the king of kings. They had the Lord of lords. They had a king more magnificent than any king on the earth. But they looked around and they looked at what the neighbors had. Oh, I want that. Samuel, we want a king. And you know what God said? And this is a scary thing. God says, give them what they want. Give them the king. I wonder how many times God has answered a prayer and said, okay, if that's what you want, then I'll give it to you. It wasn't God's plan for them to have a king. He, did, he wanted to be their king. But God, was, God knew in his sovereignty that they would make that decision, and God was going to use that, and God gave them the king that they wanted. They gave him king, who knows his name? King Saul, head and shoulders above the rest, good-looking guy, fighter, tallest guy around. You know, the Bible specifically says head and shoulders above the rest. Everybody else came up this high to him. I mean, super fighter until he met Goliath. Right? And then, all right, you're the tall guy. And Saul's looking up at Goliath going, uh-uh. So they gave him a king. They gave him the king that they wanted. But the problem with Saul is he had an evil heart. His heart wasn't after God. God them a, he gave them a king like Saul who was fashioned after their own image on what they thought a king should be like. Fashioned on what they expected. And they all had evil hearts. Saul spent most of his life doing what? Hunting David. Many years Saul spent of his uh, ruling Israel, and he, he wasn't ruling Israel, he was chasing David. Why? Because he was jealous of David. He was jealous of what David had. You, you remember the song that they wrote about him? Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain his tens of thousands. That just got under his skin. He wanted to kill David. David had a couple chances to kill Saul, he wouldn't do it. And this is going on and on and on. Saul was not a man who was interested in following God. He didn't want to follow God. He just wanted to kill David. He wanted the recognition. He wanted the fame. Matter of fact, not long after Saul became king, Samuel would tell him the kingdom was being torn away from him. Why? Does anybody know why? Or why the kingdom was torn away from Saul? That, that, he, he didn't wipe out the Amalekites. But even before that, he, didn't, he went and made an altar himself instead of waiting for Samuel. Samuel said, go to this place, I'll meet you there in seven days and I'll make an altar. Saul's looking at the clock going, well, it's the seventh day, he's not here yet, I guess I'll just do it on my own. Failed to fa fail obedience, he failed to have obedience to what God had called him to do. He also didn't utterly wipe out the Amalekites like he was supposed to. Many people think that an Amalekite was actually the one that took his life. So eventually Saul is, uh, and his son Jonathan are killed by the Philistines. Before Saul is ever killed, David is anointed king. Now think about that for a minute. Can you imagine being anointed king while somebody else is king? 
you're king. Remember how he was anointed king? They, they, they came to Jesse's house. They said, you know, Samuel comes to Jesse's house. The prophet comes and says, all right, bring me your boys. So he brings out the boys because th- th- this one's got to be king. Nope, not him. All right, well, then it's got to be this one. You know, you know Jesse brought him in the one that he thought, probably the firstborn. He's, he's definitely going to be the one. Brings him out. Nope, not him. And he gets all done looking at all of Jesse's sons. Samuel looking all of Jesse. No, that's not them. You don't have anybody else? God told me that there was a son here. Jesse goes, well, out in the field, there's this guy, David. Maybe bring, just go, go get David, bring him in. And what happens? That's the one that God picked. Man's least likely choice is God's choice. And he picks David. And we know the story. David meets Goliath, and David kills Goliath, and David goes on. He's least likely. He's the shepherd boy. He kills Goliath. They, the song's written about him. They, the ladies are singing about him. But what was it different between Saul and David? David was a man after God's own heart. Although David made his mistakes, didn't he? We've seen as we've studied through Samuel, David's made his mistakes, you know, from Bathsheba to multiple wives. And and that cost his family dearly. We've been very careful to point out the consequences that David paid for his sin. But even through it all, he, he defected and went to the side of the Philistines, tried to fight against the Israelites at one time. But even through it all, God's hand was still upon him. God kept bringing him back. And God's, God, because David was still a man after God's own heart, God continued to work with him. What an amazing picture. What an amazing place we've come to. We've come as far as 2 Samuel. We're going to begin to go into 1 Kings. David is at the end of his life. We'll see Solomon come in in 1 Kings. And then we'll see a whole host of kings follow. A few good, but mostly bad. What we see unfolding is God has taken this nation of Israel that came birth from Abram. From Abram, Abram, I want you to leave your family and go to a place that I'll show you. He goes, and then we watch one miracle after another taking place. One miracle. It's been in, God's plan has been in, unfolding exactly the way he's wanted it to since Genesis 1-1. He's not up in heaven going, I don't know what to do now. I didn't expect that. You know, why? Well, you know, I, was, I really thought Goliath was going to kill David. And man, now, Gabriel, what do we do? You know, it's not happening that way. His plan is unfolding exactly the way that he wants it. And we forget that sometimes. Also, God's plan is going to continue to unfold because it's not done unfolding. You see, we get to look back over all the way to Genesis 1 and say, this is where it's come to. And it's come as far as my life and your life. We know it's come as far as here tonight. But I can assure you that it's going to continue to unfold. And here's the good news. We're part of the plan. You're part of the plan. As it's unfolding, you get to be part of God's plan. What part are you, how are you going to do? Are you, are you going to fulfill your calling? Are you going to fulfill what God's called you to do? Or are you going to kind of be like Saul or be like one of the guys that goes on their own? Be like Samson, you know? We may not all be like David. As a matter of fact, probably none of us will be. We may not, there, the, the whole time this is going on, there's a lot of people in the scriptures whose names are not mentioned at all who are still fulfilling and being part of God's plan. We have that same opportunity, which brings me to this question. Why did God bother doing any of this? If he'd have never created us in the first place, what's the, why, why does, why is the, what's the purpose of it all? Anybody got an answer? What's that? Bride for his son, fellowship? Yeah, those are all good answers. Anybody else? He was bored? <laughs> what else? To shape us so we'd be worshiping him in heaven, in heaven forever, yeah. Yeah. What else? His glory, his good pleasure, right? The scripture says we, were created for, we are created for his good pleasure. What else? Love? Where'd that come from? Oh, he's behind the wall there, okay. What else? Serve. To serve him. Yeah, absolutely. He's our master. We're his servants. We don't always see it that way, but that's true. What else? Fellowship. Fellowship, Fellowship with the Lord. Yeah. Are we fulfilling why he created us? Are we doing those things? You see, as we look back over the nation of Israel, and you study their history, and it's fascinating, and we've just... I may even messed up a few things in order there, but we just covered the tip of it. Just the tip of it. 
And I look at how they were close to God, they walked away from God. They were close to God, they walked away from God. When they came into the promised land, this is an amazing figure that I, I, I when I first heard it, it just, my draw just, jo- just dropped. Anybody know how big the promised land was? 300,000 square miles. That's how big the promised land was. 300,000, all across, all the way over the Euphrates River. 300,000 square miles. At Israel's greatest existence, the most land they ever occupied. Anybody know how much it was? 30,000 square miles. They only got 10, they only took 10% of what God gave them. Why? They got comfortable. They just stopped. They stopped being obedient. God said, utterly wipe out the Amalekites, destroy the Canaanites, drive them out of the land. And they failed. They only, at their greatest existence, only got 10%. When I read that, I thought, what if I'm only getting 5% of what God has for me? What if I'm only getting 10%? What if I'm only getting, I don't want 10%. I want 100%. I want 100% of that. But here's what you need to understand, and I need to know too, that there's a world out there that wants to keep us from getting all that God has for us. It wants to sell us a bill of goods. It wants us to believe that their way is the best way, and that's not the case. When we look at what God's hand has done just to this point of history, we haven't even gone through the prophecies and the prophets and the minor prophets and the major prophets, and we haven't even gone that far yet. Once we see what God's hand's going to do about pointing the way for the Messiah, all the prophecies that are going to come forth, and you just look at it, and it just I stand in amazement when I look at it. And this is the same God that says to you, i got work for you to do too. And no work that anything, any one of us does is any more important than the other. You say, well, Rob, I mean, I might be the one that stands here on Thursdays and Sundays, but that doesn't mean I'm any more important than that somebody that's cleaning the bathrooms or vacuuming the floors or witnessing on the streets or picking up the sidewalks or serving at your job or moms that are raising their kids to be godly, to be godly, godly men and women in the future. This is, just, this is just my part in it. We all have that part. We're all one body working together. And we need to keep that in mind. But as we just kind of wrap this up tonight, I just want you to see that God's plan has been unfolding since the beginning of time. And as we come into 1 Kings, we're still going to be studying the nation of Israel, and we're going to see what happens to them next. How God birthed, I mean, we saw how God birthed them, and now we're going to watch really as they fall away from God. We're going to watch as they begin to fall away. They're going to build a, a temple, and, but they're going to fall away eventually. It's God, God's plan is going to continue to unfold. It's unfolded to this point, and you get to be part of God's plan. I don't know about you, but I want all that God has for me. I don't want 10%. But think of how huge 10% was. They were happy with 10%. I don't want that. But I think if I was there, I probably would have been just like them. Oh, look how good God is. Look how he's blessed me. And God's going, no, I'm not done. I got more for you. I got more. Remember that we were created for his good pleasure. We are his servants. That's the heart that we need to have. He is our master. We need to be people. Our hearts, our minds need to be focused on the Lord to where we want to serve him in whatever capacity that is. And don't diminish what that is. Don't diminish, you know, don't, don't, don't parents see, your, see your, the fact that you're a parent as a ministry. Bosses, see the fact that you're a boss as a ministry. Employees, see the fact that you're an employee as a ministry. See it as what God's called you to do. Start serving him and working for him. You see, when he tells us to live a certain way, when he warns us to stay away from things, it's because it's for our good, not because he wants us to miss out on something. Do you know that? Do you really grasp a hold of that, that when God says, hey, these things are bad, these things are bad, it's really, it's really for our good. We look at our culture today, and I'm going to make this one comment, and then we're going to close. We look at our culture today, and uh, I read an interesting statistic that more people more young people today thought it was a greater, uh, I think the word was, uh, it was more immoral to not recycle than to look at pornography. The fact that somebody recycled was more important whether or not they looked at pornography or not. That's what the young people, and that was in in George Barna, one of George Barna's polls. You can Google it and, and find it online if you want the exact wording of it. But that's the culture that we're living in. That's the culture that's pulling us away. Everywhere we look, it's trying to pull us away from God. The question is, will we stand strong in Christ? Will we stand strong and say, no, we're not going to do that? Now, when it comes to things like premarital uh, intimacy and things like that, when it comes to those things, God's word says, no, it's not right. 
Is there a reason it's not right? Because God knows the pain that it will bring into a marriage. You can ask just about anybody, and I will be honest with you, in my life, when I got married, I wasn't exclusive to my wife before we got married. And do you know the pain that that brings with you? Do you know the memories, the things, that the baggage that that drags into a marriage? If I could go back and do it all over again, I would. I would. I would. I, if I had someone to say to me, hey, don't listen to your flesh. Don't let your flesh take you in those places. You see, but at living in that time, you think, oh, well, everybody's doing it. It's cool. It's, it's good. It, it's, it's worth it. It is so much greater if you do it the way God wants you to do it. And he tells us for our benefit. When God's word says, and we're going to cover some of this in Romans when we get into here on Sunday, we're going to cover what God's word says. And he doesn't say it because he wants to be an old fuddy-duddy. He says it because he knows what's good for us. And when we come to the place where we say, God, we know that your word, what your word is good for us, and that's our hardest to follow it, then we get to be blessed. Then we get to be blessed by it. And we don't have to carry the same baggage that other people carry around in their life. Why does God hate divorce? I said I'd only do one example. I'm going to do two. Why does he hate divorce? Because he sees the pain that it brings into people's life. Because he sees the hurt. He sees, you know, you, you talk about, we live in a culture where there's blended families. He sees the difficulty involved in that. Not that you can't get through it. Not that God won't sustain you and God won't provide everything you need. But he sees the, the difficulty that, that that brings along with it. It's just, he, he understands that. So he says, don't do it. All right, I'm done. Father, Lord, we do live in a world that there's Man, there's sin abounding, Lord. We look at the television, we look around, we, we see it just... Lord, we talk about our own community, a heroin problem and this problem and that problem. And Lord, I heard a... It hurts when we see it. Lord, the people around us need you. You're the answer. Not a program. It's, it's you, Lord. They need salvation. They need the gospel, the good news that sets people free, that breaks the chains of bondage. They need to follow your word and align with what you say and watch how the results will change lives. Father, would you use us as a fellowship in that way? As we come across our friends and our family, Lord, may we not laugh at the dirty jokes. May we not look at the things that we shouldn't, but instead may we stand strong for you. May we not be people who just cave to popular opinion. May we stand on your word as truth. Lord, I believe that's going to get harder and harder to do as we go forward in this country. But I also believe it will define the Christians more clearly. So, Father, may this fellowship be a useful tool in your hands. May this place be a place where people can come that don't know you and meet you. May it be a place where we can come and get fed your word, where we can come and worship you and get lifted up and encouraged by you pruned by you may we be challenged by you lord and father may you receive the glory for the work that you're doing in our life may we take it seriously the obedience of your word may it be at the forefront of our thoughts but lord why are we still here may we be busy about your work you've called us your plan is unfolding we're part of it would you show us what that is May we be faithful to it. Keep us steady, Lord. May we see you at work in our lives and may you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.